pain. So you're in pain. Who's not in pain in this crazy world? Pain is everywhere. It's everywhere. And it won't ever end until we address our inner hmm, constellation, our inner coordinates, how we feel within will change us and will change the outer world. <laughs> Welcome to episode 21 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald and this is my grand's third favourite podcast after Mike Tyson's new one and Clyde One's super scoreboard. She loves Hugh Evans. In this episode, I talk to somebody who had a very chaotic upbringing and we talk about how it shaped him as a person uh, and the man that he is today. That guy's Sean Toner. He's married with one son. He's one of my closest pals. He's a big idiot, but you'll never meet you know, a nicer person or a guy with a bigger heart. Than, than him uh, but he had quite a difficult life and we talk about that now we talk about addiction as a mental health issue as opposed to being like a human failing or a criminal issue Sean shares details of his childhood and the tough times and how that then ultimately determined the path that he took in life now it's his first time doing anything like this but he speaks really well and it's a conversation I think that's worth having we discuss addiction as a subject and the impact it has on people around the addict now, the focus is always on the person with the issue, but what about their family? What about their friends? How does it affect them? That's something that we kind of look into. You know, do we talk about it a lot? You know, addiction and the impact? I don't think so. It can be embarrassing for people, but I don't think it should be that way. Maybe you have got somebody that's close to you who's battled with alcoholism or drugs or anything else. Maybe it impacted you or your family. You know, where do you turn to for support if it's such a taboo subject? Now, these podcasts are where I talk to people about things, you know, that that are a wee bit strange, I suppose, and they've been recorded for that purpose. You know, are you struggling a wee bit? Don't know who to talk to. You know, do you think you're the only one because nobody ever admits it openly? Well, here you go. Here's somebody with a wife, a son, a house, a good job, but you had it tough. There's no shame in acknowledging that things were never easy or that you're currently under a bit of strain from the issues of other people. This is an ordinary guy from Glasgow talking about his life. It's a glimpse into the unknown, if you're lucky enough, not to have been affected by any of these issues. But maybe you can remember somebody from school who seemed a wee bit poorly presented. Maybe they seemed angry or chaotic. Or maybe they just weren't ever fully present. You know who I'm talking about? You can picture somebody in your year at school. Maybe they were having a really shite time at home. It's something to think about, you know, the fact that you never really know what's going on in somebody's life. And that's further motivation to just be nice to people. We've spoke about that a few times. There's enough pricks in the world without you adding to it or without me adding to that massive pile. Something to think about. One last thing. I'm using Flick every day. It's an app. It's free. And I've partnered with them, which is why I'm talking about it. I'm not going to bullshit you. On this free app, we talk about subjects that are discussed on the podcast. People share their thoughts, stories... There's some funny part, or there's suggestions, you know, there's people sort of sharing their examples and experiences. It's, it's really good. It's a great place to ask any podcast-related questions or to speak directly to me or to people who've been on Blethered before. I do get quite a lot of messages, obviously, with the topics and the things that we talk about. And I can't reply to them all because I miss them because life, do you know what I mean? I can't be on my phone on Twitter all the time, although it might seem like it. If you want to join in, 
have a look on my Twitter, which is SeanMcDonald01. I'll post the link there. Alternatively, you can send me a message and I'll send you the link. It takes about two minutes to set up. As usual, I hope you enjoy the podcast and I hope you take something from it. If not, I hope you just enjoy listening. Finally, and most importantly, a big thank you to Sean for speaking openly about an uncomfortable recollection. I appreciate it. I think you'll enjoy it. Cheers. Hello and welcome to Blethered. As explained in the introduction, and this episode is quite similar to the themes previously, the one with Dean Curry talking about God sectarianism and other stuff, the one with Darren Connell in which we discussed um, how much of an impact exercise and diet has on your mental health. It's been quite enjoyable just having these chats, you know, as opposed to the, the deep interviews with people and getting into that, just more finding out people's thoughts and things. So, as introduced, I'm joined by my pal, Sean Toner. Sean, hello. Hello, how you doing? Good, mate, good. Again, this is like we have to put up the whole facade as if we've not just been in the car together for half an hour. Aye. Kid on as if you've just walked in. Of course. Um, so, we're going to be talking about addiction. And we've kind of touched on it in, in other episodes. You know, the theme of addiction and the impact it has on people. With Frank McEwen, we talked about should addiction be treated as a mental health issue or viewed as a mental health issue and would that help us to not only make sense of it and understand it better you know as a compulsion as opposed to people just being selfish and trying to do themselves harm but also to the fact that it can then benefit everybody all around in terms of getting to the root of it instead of punishing people or you know whether that's for a legal standpoint you know so people going to jail getting criminal convictions or even for like a personal standpoint a relationship point punishing people, ostracising people because of their addiction and the problems that causes. So we've got a wee bit of an expert, a personal expert uh, in you, Sean, to, to talk about this. So in order to paint the picture for people listening, go back to the start, right? Tell me a wee bit about where you grew up and what life was like as a whole and then we'll kind of get into it. Yeah, so I grew up in Pollock originally, uh, south side of Glasgow. Um, and... Yeah, from a very early age, there was a bit of a, di- a, a, a different dynamic within my family compared to other families um, mm-hmm. around us. Uh, simply put, well, first and foremost, my mum and dad didn't work, mm-hmm. not, not neither of them. Um, my mum was pretty much a homemaker. My dad was, from my memory, not, not around very often. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got older, I understood that it was due to my father just kind of having uh, and dealing with addictions in, in different manners. Uh, what I mean by that is he was he was very much an alcoholic. Mm. Um, an extreme alcoholic, I would maybe go as far as saying. Uh, and that, that also, obviously that, that, that led to other problems within the, fi- the kind of family dynamic and, and grow up up in a, in a a household which was kind of uh, upside down, not really knowing what was going to happen from day to day in terms of whether there would be enough food in the house, mm-hmm. um, whether my dad would give my mum enough money to go and do a shop. or um, So it was generally quite tough. But there is a quite a, a weird juxtaposition there in terms of that. My mum's side of the family... 
were quite well off. Um, all professionals. My mum's sister was a nurse. Um, my mum's brothers are quantity severe. Um, and her stepmother was a, a nurse as well. So on my mum's side of the family, they were quite well off. My mum went to a nice school, grew up in the West End of Glasgow, Jordan Hill, really nice affluent area. Um, but when she met my, my dad, we obviously started living in Pork. The difference there was that my mum put on a brave face in terms of the rest of her family so no one else was kind of aware outside of that kind of family unit within the uh, immediate family that lived in Pollock of just how terrible a time it was in terms of that um, so it was a bit weird so I'd go and visit my gran and grandpa and everything would be great and I'd have money and, I, and they'd, they'd spoil me and I'd have nice clothes but then you'd go home and you weren't allowed to talk uh, you'd go home and, and there might not be enough for dinner mm-hmm. so it was a it was a weird situation in that respect my mum was just too proud to talk about my mum eh, my dad's alcoholism and how that manifested itself eh, in different ways that could have been my dad being violent towards my mum it could have been my dad just spending every penny that we had eh, in terms of any sort of kind of benefit handouts that we, we were entitled to at the mm-hmm. time um, so it was very it was a very kind of toxic environment to grow up in so I, I probably actually should have mentioned there and I will have retrospectively put this into the intro uh, just before it goes out but that's what I'm really keen to explore the impact that that addiction has on other people because mm-hmm. often or I think in most cases we look at how does addiction affect that one person but obviously there's a whole network um, of people in that, that you know within that family unit or whatever mm-hmm. That is then going to impact. So I kind of want to hear a bit about you. I mean, in terms of, like, how was, how was, did you think it impacted your school life or your education? Because that can't be easy, you know, if you're coming from a bit of a chaotic home life mm-hmm. to then just go into school and everything to be normal. Did it impact it? Well, not so much in primary school. I mean, primary school was very much, um, I mean, it's just it cut, primary schools come in and glue and things. And that, <laughs> yeah, so. no, I but to be as far <laughs> as that's concerned, it, it, it was fine. There was something really odd though. I mean, we wouldn't get breakfast on a Monday because we'd wait for my mum to get her child benefit money coming in, and then she'd bring me up a Greg's at break time. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought that was kind of cool that my mum done that, but it was actually because we we hadn't had any breakfast. Aye. So we we're kind of very much living hand to mouth, and not just in the sense that. Um, not 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 in the sense that we kind of use it nowadays, but really much in the sense that we had nothing in the house to eat mm-hmm. and we were living that way. Or on a Sunday, uh, we would have no electricity because the the prepaid meter would run out and mm-hmm. we'd be sitting in the dark all night waiting for uh, nine o'clock to come so we could go and top it up or, or on the Monday morning. So it was quite extreme in that extent. Um, 13 was a bit of a, a weird year, start of secondary school. Um, but at that point, my dad was kind of like, uh, absolutely insane uh, in terms of the drink uh, he was just drinking all day never done anything in terms of um, taking us anywhere doing anything that you would usually do in a kind of family dynamic so I never really got to experience kind of going on trips with my dad or my dad taking me to football you'd have everyone else's dads there um, or family members no one ever took me to football and that was something I really craved as a youngster mm-hmm. was that kind of bond with my dad that I never really have 
uh, or had and I still don't have to this day uh, but it kind of cul- culminated in, in my dad um, being violent towards my mum extremely violent and uh, they split up and uh, my dad was kind of convicted um, of, of hitting my mum but yeah so that had a, a weird effect on everything I didn't want to go to school after that um, I didn't want to go to school in the local area so I went to school in the West End but I was kind of just running away for the problems so in the local community I was kind of like a social pariah to a certain extent I felt alienated because my dad was an alcoholic I was mm-hmm. embarrassed with people seeing my dad in the street um, so it, it, it was it was fucking horrible it was a horrible experience mm-hmm. um, so I thought I'll run away to the West End I'll go to school there where no one knows me and I'll maybe have a better time of it. It wasn't the case because there was too many problems at home that running away from it wasn't making a difference. Aye, that, that baggage is essentially around your neck, and it? it's not as if you uh-huh. can just leave it. I mean, it must, I can't even imagine, to be honest. Um, I mean, the psychological strain must have just been absolutely immense. You know, what, talk us through as time went on, you know, your dad. I, I, I love your dad. I think he's the relationship or the kind of uh, the 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 knowledge I've got of, of him is mm-hmm. as being sober, as being clean. Because mm-hmm. talk us through that. He's 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 now he doesn't drink and he's quite a, quite a lot of years sober. How did he get to that process or how did he get to that point? Um, so kind of after my mum and dad split up and my dad was living on his own. That I, if you didn't think he could go downhill hill anymore, um, well he managed to find a new level. <laughs> um, my dad was living in uh, another area in Pollock and his house was an absolute shit hit tip. You, you couldn't move for rubbish he wasn't looking after himself he was he was just unclean um, filthy in fact um, just I didn't really care uh, what it looked like or, or who he was hurting or was he just boiling about drinking he was just boiling about drinking I mean my dad was a uh, six stone or something like that fucking hell uh, he used to get a taxi to the off licence buy his alcohol and go straight back to the house so it was it was an absolute it, 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 it was a kind of shelly a man right. uh, to a certain extent um, at that time when I was like 13, 14, 15 I didn't want to know him it was embarrassing to talk to him so me kind of shunning him and, and not kind of helping him, not being able to understand that what he was going through through was an addiction and it wasn't something you can just chuck Aye. like that. Um, not only was my dad mentally addicted to drugs and alcohol, he was physically addicted. His body would have shut down if he'd have came off uh, the alcohol and, and other drugs that he was on. I, um, I'm not too sure. I wasn't even that close to him in terms of knowing exactly what he was up to but I remember the house getting raided when I was younger looking for drugs and uh, drugs obviously um, but I which was a crazy experience um, but it, yeah he drove himself into a hole where he, he nearly died on, on several occasions um, he then kind of went to hospital he was in hospital for a few months and then attended a kind of drugs and alcohol counselling facility down in I think it was Greenock and he was, he was he'd stopped drinking and, and taking drugs for maybe like uh, 
don't know, about six weeks, seven weeks or something, and he was straight back on it again. Um, so, I it was it was, it was it's hard to kind of put a timeline together in terms of these crazy instances that my dad had through my childhood because my memories of them are as probably as erratic as his behaviour. Do you get what I mean? Aye. It comes and goes Aye. and you block a lot of it out. I think what you were talking about earlier in terms of uh, addiction being a mental health issue, mm-hmm. that's kind of why I wanted to bring this up. I feel personally that if I had maybe taken drugs when I was younger, which I haven't done, I've abstained completely from them, I knew that I would end up similar to my dad. I just somehow knew it. Um, I've never explored that, obviously, but that's one of the, f- the things that I've kind of feared is ending up in the same position he was. I don't want to, I have to really stress to you and anybody listening, I'm not trying to diagnose anybody in their absence, but obviously... I can only ask you because you're mm. the person that's in front of me and you sort of live through it. Do uh, you think that for him, was it that he had that addictive side and that he got into it? Or, you know, has that ever come up? I should We should point out that the dad's all right with having this chat, aren't they? Because I, I, I just hope that nobody's listening and maybe thinks that because there is a, a, an end point, but we're talking about while we're in the midst of this chaotic storm. We're, we're, you know, we're not speaking about him as if he's as if he just uh, doesn't exist or he's not going to hear it. No, um, no. Um, I spoke to my dad. Um, my dad was quite happy for me to have this conversation. Aye. My dad, uh, as we, as we spoke about earlier, is now ten years uh, sober. Um, he, he, he works. He, he, he's done a lot of work in terms of helping other people through the process of of alcohol addiction and other addictions. Um, has went to university and studied um, counselling around addiction as well. So, mm-hmm. so it's straight away, right? That to me is a, a like a sort of snapshot or a, a glimpse of somebody who's intelligent, who's empathetic, who's get you know sympathy and wants to help other people. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to take that list of qualities and then you were to sort of put that side by side with how you describe them at a certain point when he's living by himself, the two things wouldn't seem to go hand in hand. You would think, no way could a person living that way also possesses qualities which I think gives a wee bit of credence to the point or the sort of perspective that it is a mental health issue and so I was going to ask um, do you do you think for him was that the case because you know does he also possess that addictive trait that you think you might have I think so it's not something we've kind of explored in too much um, context I'm quite happy with the relationship I've got with my dad at the moment where we just don't bring it up Aye. Um, about the past because I'm happy with him being a kind of friend figure rather than a father figure mm-hmm. and that's just simply the way it is at the moment and I'd rather have that relationship and he has a, a relationship with my son who's five who you've mentioned on the podcast before um, that time he shot he said at Disneyland <laughs> he's never going to live back down is he Mate, he'll be he'll be like I'll be at his 50th birthday party I'll be like in my late 70s and I'll be like aye mate you still shot yourself at Disneyland yeah I remember that time you shot yourself mate um, so he's got a grandfather um, son uh, grandson relationship with him and that's aye. all I could ever hope for I never thought my dad would be here never mind um, have a relationship with me or, or my grandson um, uh, or, or, or his grandson sorry Back to what you're talking there about about, about my dad um, and putting those two kind of pillars side by side in terms of the good qualities that my dad possesses now 
or at least kind of uh, shining through now that he's sober uh-huh. compared to the things that I experienced going through kind of childhood and those kind of different experiences um, and how they differ. Yeah, I certainly think he did probably possess the, the kind of addictive personality or that addictive gene in terms of... Um, because his brother died as well. His brother was an alcoholic. His brother died of consequences of being an alcoholic. Um, his grandf- uh, his father, to my knowledge, was an alcoholic and died before I was born mm-hmm. as well. So I think these kind of things can run in a family. It sounds a wee bit like learned behaviour as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, I think it was never ever kind of... It was, yeah... Um, we were in that environment of a really poor neighbourhood where kind of things were scarce, opportunities were scarce. How much, see with that, that scarcity, do you think some of it was escapism? Probably, um, probably for my father, yes. Um, he, he is an intelligent man, um, very much so, and I think maybe some of that could be with down to frustration and things of that nature. Mm. Especially when I was, think, I was talking there about like... Uh, domestic violence and I could never ever condone it however in retrospect and looking back at my dad's addictions they certainly were the catalyst for him acting that way I could never do it even if I was pissed however I understand why it happened Mm -hmm. and I forgive him for it I forgive him for hitting my mum I forgive him for hitting me um, but I understand how he got there and how he got yeah. to that stage where he wasn't in control of his feelings uh, around alcohol I think there's somebody who I always tend to forget here I'm sorry my, my, my dad being an alcoholic I think the biggest loser out of this is, is my mother um, she suffers from anxiety never leaves the house um, is unsteady on her feet is, is a bit of a, a, a hermit and lives mm-hmm. and stays in the house all the time on her own and I think that's a lot to do with the experiences she's kind of with my father and, and, and growing up with me who didn't want to go to school and didn't want to uh, at some point until I grew up a wee bit and kind of and, and outlearned out, out those bad habits but didn't it never gave it gave her a hard time because there was nothing in the house um, and now she's kind of on her own whereas my father has kind of got through that which is great and he's moved on he's got a girlfriend and he's he's holding down a job for the first time and he's just kind of went on with his life I think my mum's kind of forgotten about to that extent and I think she's the biggest victim mm-hmm. of this whole um, unfortunate circumstances of growing up in a a family where where um, alcohol addiction and, and, and drug addiction was rife. That's that's the the forgotten aspect in it. We focus, not wrongly, but we focus on the people solely who come through it in their experience. But we mm-hmm. we, we tend to forget about you know the people that are impacted by it because you can guarantee if there's one person who's living that sort of chaotic lifestyle, then there's likely five people you know average that are around them that are then feeling the brunt of that whether it's worry whether it's stress I feel like you've obviously developed a, a real sympathy and understanding and I would say dare I say compassion mm-hmm. towards them um, or towards how life was and kind of accepting that there were reasons for it has that helped you to to move on 
and to deal with that because a lot of people can hold on to that for a long time and it's not good for you yeah I, I, th- I think the main reason why I've um, been able to forgive him and kind of move on and not hold a grudge in terms of that was that in later years my experiences around alcohol where I've lost my temper mm-hmm. where I've never went to the extremes where I've been kind of beating my partner up or anything like that however she's I can trick you did that, that night remember they played Monopoly oh I just smashed her that night aye but aye aye to be fair she there are exceptions you know if Monopoly being one of them I would mm, say aye. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying smash her right but just a wee tiny wee clip just oh, so aye, she knows kick a chair away fell aye. or something like that aye that's fair enough oh I okay, get we don't endorse domestic violence <laughs> Um but I've been in places where alcohol has, has enraged me and I think we've all been in that place where in retrospect you're like why the fuck did I do that? Why the fuck did I get to the point where I'm letting that affect me? And and, and that's times where I've been Aye. drinking for weeks on end every single day and all that and we've all had woes in our life um, where these things kind of take effect However, I always look back at them because I'm, I'm, I'm scared of turning into what my dad was like. But I'm always able to pull myself back for being that kind of, of going down that route. Um, so, but I, that's how I understand it. I understand Aye. it because I've had feelings like that. I'm not saying I've ever, ever even been violent towards any of my partners in the past, but I've just, I know what that feeling is like when you're you're uncontrollably angry and alcohol plays a part in that. I think we all have been like that in some respects. One thing, as I've gotten older, I think what we can often, relationships can break down between family and friends because we've got a certain expectation of what they should be giving us or what they should be providing, mm. whether it's material, emotional or otherwise. And when we don't receive that, you know, sort of relationship type expectation let's just say because you're looking at it going that's my dad so a dad should provide X, Y and Z for me Aye. and when they don't and I think when we maybe if we can try and look at people just as another human you know without any obligation to you and think right what what kind of shit could they be dealing with internally that I don't know about what maybe led them to here what past traumas mm-hmm. has there been sometimes people might just be pricks right and Aye, I would say course. that's probably in the and the, the the lesser percentile right but so when you start looking at people just as a guy it's quite easier isn't it to, to then sympathise and be like mate you're, you're kind of trying your best you know your best wasn't good enough but mm-hmm. you did try your best well that's what I was trying to articulate there was the fact that I, I've tried to put myself in his shoes Aye. by understanding my past feelings and, and, and my my um, attitude towards alcohol and my attitude towards gambling which is also kind of something that I dabbled in and, and lost heavily and at times um, and, and kind of pulled myself away from that completely as well and that's due to me feeling like I've like I could lose everything I could easily lose everything Aye. because I feel like I've got those traits One thing I'd like to touch on as you said that you let you kind of let things go. You just don't bring it up, and that allows you and him to have a wee bit of a relationship. But also with, with your son. What are your thoughts on that? Just as a whole, uh, on you know, 
some th- let's just say the acceptance that some things might never be resolved as such because they're in the past and they've happened but what's your thoughts on leaving things in the past and moving on because that is it's it's quite a that was some whistle by the way now you're like in well, tune, in tune the fat when that guy sausages. Aye, that's what you sounded like there Singapore fried rice um, <laughs> number 66 um, what an impression that was by the way I've been trying to nail that my whole life anyway sorry to go back to that the look gone anyway. what is um, what's your general thoughts on that did, did that happen for you gradually or did you have to make a conscious decision that do you know what forgive and forget and move on because do you think life's too short I think the reason why I was able to forgive my dad was because I seen there was a bit of effort on his part I think if we were still talking if he was still an alcoholic at this very moment in time would would we be on talking terms probably not because Mm -hmm. I think that over the last 10 years he's kind of redeemed himself in terms of being able to make an effort in terms of changing and making massive massive step changes and it's 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 admirable uh, that he's done that and I'm so proud of him for kind of doing it and that's why I was able to forgive him because I seen that there was a, there was effort on his part Aye. to make amends maybe not even with me because it's not something we ever verbalised at the start however because my dad kind of made that effort I was seeing that he was trying and I could understand kind of why why he done what he'd done to a certain extent or I could under yeah I could just understand it and I could see that he was trying to make amends and try and change the things that he was doing so um, I think on on our in my story um, in terms of my life then it was quite easy to, uh, can I say I forgive you uh, because he was able to make the effort I don't think that's always the case and uh, I think there's, there's there's calls there that you could say well, you shouldn't have forgiven him because he, he hit your mum, and you shouldn't have given you given him uh, forgiven him because he left you hungry, um, and you shouldn't have forgiven him for spending your savings when you had money put outside to go on holiday oh, with yeah. your aunt and stuff like that. There's loads of things that I can remember where I shouldn't have forgiven him, but um, because I think there was an effort on his part, that was easy. In other people's circumstances, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but for me, that that made it a little bit easier. Takes a really, I would say, at this point, you should probably be commended on that part because, it, you know, see see if somebody, if I hold a door open for somebody and they don't say thanks, mm-hmm. I'm like, fucking cut! <laughs> like, <laughs> in my head, I, I in my head, like, I, fucking say thanks! Right, <laughs> mate, I get raging. I like phrasers, you could get stuck there all day, and I get Pissed just, off, right? Aye. That's me. That was me acting out my rage, by the way. I don't actually get like that. But the fact that they things have happened, and, and they're not nice, actually, they're pretty awful. To be able to move on for the sake of having some sort of relationship and then building on that is, is admirable, and I would say it's exemplary. Um, probably something a lot of us could, could learn from. In terms of your life you know you're doing well you've got a beautiful wife a lovely house mm-hmm. um, life isn't it perfect it, it's, it's hard it can be hard at times but it's, it's lovely but one special thing is obviously the bond that you've got with, with your son Lucas mm-hmm. um, and obviously all parents have that but there is 
just a, a real special connection. You do so much for him. He, he idolises you. How much of your past memory fuels your current reality in your life with Lucas? It's, a, it's absolutely everything. Um, the way my dad was with me was the, the, the motivation for me to nev- for him to never experience that. Aye. I would hate like already my wee boy plays football he's only five he fucking hates it but guess what Yo. I take him and I'm there every single time he plays football <laughs> you're when, only there because some of the mums are nice but um, some of the dads are alright <laughs> 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 mate I'm, I'm a fucking married man now I get what I can get <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay um, however if you want that's fine uh, I know of course um, but I just I would hate to not I would hate for him to experience some of the woes that I had like uh-huh. playing football and my dad not being there or him promising to take me to park and not being able to do that or I'd never been on a family holiday I've never been on a family holiday we won a wait a minute with uh, you mean with you because you've been on family holidays no no I've never been on a family holiday when I grew up so uh-huh. things like that I would never want Lucas to experience those those times where he kind of felt singled out or ostracised in terms of his social environment growing up and I just I don't want him to ever experience things that I had to experience I I suppose there are similarities between right so there's a a man called Viktor Frankl and he was an Austrian psychologist or a like therapist psychiatrist Mm -hmm. um, during the Holocaust and he lost all his family in the concentration camps mm-hmm. and his book is called Man's Search for Meaning and he basically arrives at a conclusion and part of it that he suffered so that his family didn't have to in terms of living without them uh-huh. and the kind of point I'm arriving at is that well there's an element of suffering in your childhood and you know quite a traumatic time but the one positive we can take for that is that you shouldered that burden so that your son will never have to, like he'll never feel that and essentially mm-hmm. that experience that you had while traumatic and you know deeply upsetting and something that could potentially uh, stayed with you um, for the rest of your life in fact has, has served as like a fuel to make sure that you're a really great parent and so mm-hmm. there's a in a way I'm just trying to find a bit of light in what is essentially a period of darkness do you know what I mean by that? I totally agree with you I think it's a lot to be said for the kind of nature nurture thing to a certain extent as well for instance I think I've got that trait in terms of being having an addictive personality and mm. however that would convey itself in my life and whether that's duplicating what my dad had maybe went through I, I was scared that that would happen however um, I think because Growing up, I was lucky enough that I had my mum's side of the family who didn't really know how much of this stuff was actually fucking happening. But I had an out there. I had a, a, I had a, I had good holidays with them. Aye. Um, I had really good Christmases with them. Um, and they kind of grounded me and showed me another a, another side of um, of what you could achieve. Um, in terms of of a structured kind of family upbringing or a, a family upbringing where there's no kind of drugs or alcohol fueling um, anxiety or rage or, or nastiness or bitterness. So it showed you there was an alternative that you could... I, I had something to work towards. Aye. 
But it's funny because there was a a family that I kind of would like to be remain nameless who stayed next door to me uh, or a couple of doors down and uh, we grew up and me and this boy were the same age and we had similar upbringings. His mum was a, an alcoholic and it's funny because he passed away a couple of weeks ago and this boy was a gifted athlete. I mean, Scottish schools champion cross country um, done loads of stuff um, around the UK in terms of that and was very very valued and his running coaches were at his funeral but he turned the opposite way he went the full route in terms of drugs alcohol mm-hmm. um, and he's left a left a, a daughter here without a father um, his brother was at the funeral carrying the coffin and he was attached to a security guard because they had to bring him up to prison down south and it just shows you how we can ha- I think we both came to very similar families with very similar kind of uh, bad experiences growing up mm-hmm. but because I kind of had a bit of an anchor or something to work towards I think that that was my out or that was my way of kind of aspiring to something else or knowing something different whereas and my own interpretation of it is that he maybe didn't have that. I didn't have that, that example, mm-hmm. whether it was to, to participate in or even just to witness or to see that there is an alternative. And I would say then that you've been, and I, I use this term loosely, fortunate in, in that instance. It's obviously, it, it's done you a lot of help. Um, I think it's developed quite a, I've used this term quite a few times, but quite an empathetic side. You uh, tell me about your your wee charity drive you do I think people would like to hear about that that you do um, at Christmas aye so it's just something I've always quite been as you say empathetic so I always go past the kind of charity food bank drives in terms of supermarkets and I always feel like I want to give to them because actually my mum was uh, quite fortunate that we grew up my mum was Catholic we went to mass and uh, we used to get handouts from a very similar organisation as St Vincent de Paul um, who do a lot for kind of inner city kids and, and kids around the world in fact um, so we kind of use them as a crutch in terms of food coming into the house even though we had um, we, we would have got money from my mum's sister and brother and her, her mother um, if we'd asked but my mum was too proud to do that so when I see these kind of things uh, around the around the around the city kind of I, I really wanted to get involved um, so every Christmas um, what I do is I get people to donate Christmas presents for kids mm-hmm. um, who maybe don't have a parents or or or, or, or families who maybe their father's in, in prison um, or are suffering from addiction charities like Chaz um, charities like uh, the Tussle Trust um Glasgow City Mission and I get as many gifts as I can and I split them between these kind of charities um, so it's something I've done off now for the last five years or so and every year it kind of grows arms and legs in terms of how many presents I get from people are more generous uh, as the years go on and I think the reason I do that is is because I would hate for there to be kids out there right now suffering in families where there are addiction and not having something to open on Christmas Day and things like that 
unfortunately there is and there's always I mean it's, it's such a it's a great thing and for the people that do things like that I think it's it's terrific it's it's beautiful it's a lovely thing the sad reality is that there's um, that is going to be the reality for a lot of kids and people not just uh, on Christmas day so kind of to bring it back to to the point I was making about treating it as a mental health addiction uh, sorry, sorry treating addiction as a mental health issue in order to cure it instead of just to prevent it how how I mean what what's your thoughts? This is an open open opportunity for you just to say, you know, what you think about that aspect. I certainly think it is. I think we're products of an environment to a certain extent, but I certainly think that people are either kinda born with this kinda compulsion mm-hmm. in terms of or, 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 of getting involved in those sort of things. See, I don't particularly understand addiction because it's something that I've been fortunate enough not to have lived around or to have had myself. But I've got, I, I know a guy, and he was explaining to me about in terms of his gambling addiction, mm-hmm. and he was basically explaining, and I'll majorly paraphrasing here, that for him, <clears throat> the compulsion to gamble is in the same way, it's instinctive in the same way that I've got the instinct to. Um, drink water to sleep and to eat. He has it to gamble, and mm. if you know if he doesn't satisfy that urge, and he kind of explained it in the point of um, if he was like ten grand up one day and he lost it all, and he said he wasn't he too bothered about losing the money, although he was bothered. But at no point did he think, right, that's me won my ten grand because he wasn't in it to win money. He was in it to gamble, mm. essentially to throw the dice or to press the button on the, the roulette machine, mm-hmm. or to put the money on the, the numbers on roulette, and that kind of made me understand it a wee bit more, uh, although, I, you know, I, I can't claim to. Um, certainly no one here advocating uh, any treatments or any sort of, going down any path, so this is what we must do, but I think it's interesting to have these conversations, because it's not something we often hear about, as you mm-hmm. said, you were actually embarrassed at times, mm-hmm. so it's not something that you're going to willingly then discuss in the open so for the people who don't experience that or if that isn't their reality how will we ever know unless we sit down and have these conversations and these chats you know these ideas of they've got to start somewhere um, mm. on, a, on a lighter note and this is another point that I've spoken about on this before about how life is a black comedy and mm. there's a few things that happened in your life that when you look at you know the simplicity of what happens you're like fucking hell that's really sad and depressing Aye. but some of it's actually really funny Tell us about the bus stop. Aye, so my dad would just come up with these mad schemes all the time of kind of make money to kind of fund either drinking all their money away and us not having food in the house or something to feed kind of his addiction. So I he used to like steal all the boilers at all derelict houses and stuff like that. So one day in his inf- kind of infinite wisdom he thought while he was mad with it he used to, well he used to take loads of shite to the scrapyard and get money for it so he'd just pick things up he'd steal guttering he'd steal stuff off the railway line he'd, he'd, he'd steal everything that was na- nailed down and he'd take it to the scrapyard so he was a bit of a grafter he was never like a thief or anything like that he was always kind of not a thief as in the fact that somebody would be a pocket like a personal person right, he would right. always be stealing 
stuff on a commercial <laughs> level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just endangering the aye. lives of commuters in Scotland. Oh, aye, aye, just, just, just the normal stuff. Um, so, one day while he was mad, he thought, he looked outside his window and he thought, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to saw the bus stop down at four in the morning and steal the bus stop and send it to the scrapyard. Um, so he went down the stairs and he started sawing away at the bus stop and uh, the police turned up and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, oh sorry officer. But I always, I always imagine my dad, my dad was always very much like a Rab but character when he did <laughs> a drink, so he was like, oh, sorry officer. Um, what's happened is I've had a fight with the, the, the bus driver uh, and, he, and he called me an arsehole, so I thought, I've saw it in his bus stop. <laughs> so that's how he got away with, like, no getting arrested, but um, that was what he was wanting to do, was steal, steal the bus stop uh-huh. uh, for, 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 to, to fund um, drinking. So I always thought that was a really funny story, however, it's actually really quite sad it is really sad it's like in the surface it, like that's really funny and he tells because he told me that Hogmanay mm-hmm. 2014 mm-hmm. and uh, I was rolling about laughing Sean McDonald's Rain Man coming in I know and the regular listeners all four regular listeners <laughs> <laughs> will know that I've got a weird thing for recalling dates and stuff like that um, and he told me it and I thought it was really funny and it was only over the years I was like wait a minute that's really sad and depressing but it's kind of another example of how it's like when me and Dean were talking about how Aye. dementia has a capability, has the potential to be funny. Yeah. Which, on the surface, that sounds a horrible statement, but then you hear about the guy who took his dog Aye, to the vet. Dog, he's sitting in the waiting room, and then he realised he left the dog in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. It's that hilarious. Is funny. But dementia itself isn't funny. It's kind of just like, did you ever get? Did you ever use humour to get through tough times, or was it bleak? No, of course I did. I mean, I think even now, being able to speak about those things in a humorous uh, kind of tone, or, or taking the uh, or, or adding humour to it, is how I get through most things in life. It's I think like, it's. A, I don't know if it's a Glaswegian thing, or I think it is, and I think uh, it's a it's a form of therapy. A hundred percent. I think this is a form of therapy to a certain extent. Aye. Um, there's about to charge you 40 quid before you leave here so I know I didn't even get a chance to lie on the sofa so I'm a wee bit pissed <laughs> off about that um, but I, I do think it's it is, it's, um, it's certainly how we just uh, kind of um, get through things without having to kind of dwell on them too much I think being able to see the humour is one thing of getting through it and also looking for a positive of course. because there is a positive in these things and while there is a lot, there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of, and I would say suffering. The positives of the way you live your life, you know, and the things you try and do for others, having an understanding and a sympathy towards people that may not, on the surface of it, quote unquote, deserve it, mm-hmm. are also the relationship that you've got with your son and any other future mm-hmm. children. There's been, you know, you're, you're using that to your advantage to to fuel you. Before we finish up, is there any other anything you want to get across? Any other points? Um, sorry to put you on the spot just the way that but no I, I, th- I think it's just kind of it, it, what I wanted to get out of this was that we talk about addiction and I've been quite quite nice I think to my father in terms of um, this kind of chat that we're having in terms of how, how we kind of have alliterated what he got up to and, and things like that but I think the, the underlying thing here is that 
we have to kind of understand where these problems come from for, for us to kind of advance any t- type of treatment for them and I think that understanding how it affects others um, and what they uh, what they've seen in it uh, as well as the individual's problem with their addiction and how they're treated um, it's it's also about understanding the ripple effects that that has within people's families um, and how they can either learn that inform- or have those learned behaviours mm-hmm. or indeed move away from them I think we, 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 just, just one last point would be on addiction was that uh, you said there about um, people having a kind of, or I believe that people having an addictive personality and you could never really kind of um, relate to that to a certain extent. Aye. I think it's very much like um, how people are wired. I always think it about it's been a wiring system so mm-hmm. my dad having an addictive personality and it wasn't about getting drunk it was just about kind of it was about chasing that feeling but after a while it was just repetitive uh-huh. I think that's a, a wee bit like athletes on the other on the flip side of that so for them Ronaldo he trains every single day of his life he maybe not want to but he chases those endorphins and I think people are kind of wired a different way but they're still addicted to certain different things it's just that maybe my father was unfortunately wired a different way and his addiction kind of came out in a negative aspect whereas Maybe Ronaldo or people like that, um, kind of their, their their addictions or their their personality traits or or those kind of genes have, have led them to be to live uh, more uh, exemplary lives. Um, but I'm not uh, describing uh, or, or comparing my dad to Ronaldo because <laughs> my that. dad is piss at football, uh-huh. absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just you know trying what? to kind of. That's I... how I kind of formulate it. Is if. Everybody's got the 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 kind of um, feeling, or can be addicted to certain things. However, I think that um, it's just the way they're wired. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked a lot about being sympathetic and caring, kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's an element of toughness needed, like tough love? Because you mentioned that you essentially shunned you shunned them for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, that was also something that kind of spurred them. Or kickstarted them into motion a wee bit with with fixing things. Do you think there's got to be a balance between compassion and harsh tough love? Of course. Again, I mean, this is. I just feel as if I have to point out that we're not trying to diagnose and solve all these problems, but this is we're we're conversing on it. So just in case there's anybody going like, who the fuck do you think you are, pal? Like, where's your qualifications? Uh, I'm just asking the question of what you think. No, I think I think there's got to be a, a good balance there in terms of. Um, in terms of how, how, how you look at these things, I think my dad, yeah, it's certainly the toughness there of, of him separating from my family, it made him hit rock bottom and then went down another few rungs as well. Um, and I think until you hit your kind of rock bottom, it's hard for you to then ascend into anything else. Mm-hmm. I think people uh, feed other people's addictions or let them away with it or, or think that if they don't let them do certain things that... that, that maybe the relationship would break down so I think there's other things in terms of that of being you need to be cruel to be kind um, how that manifests itself is is anybody's guess although um, there certainly would be different ways of doing things whether that's um, therapy or, or anything else like that as, uh, as I mentioned in the intro uh, the Flick app you can find a link for that on Twitter I will share it if you want it if you want it give me a shout and I'll send you it 
and over there is where we kind of discuss various things basically there's, there's topics you'll see it when you download it and it gives you the opportunity to speak to to speak to Sean he can answer any questions or if you want to speak to him privately I'm sure you'd be alright with that wouldn't you I of course and um, you can also you know speak to other people as well or you can just read the chat you can know you can read the, the, what we're talking about so if you've been affected by these things that we've spoken about you've been impacted by them or you have got a curiosity you just want to talk then you can join us at the Flick uh, chat uh, is worthwhile. It's there's a lot of conversation going on, and people are people are connecting. It's just it's good to see. So so feel free to come on over. Um, Sean, this has been great. Um, a worthwhile chat. Thanks for um, thanks for for joining. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's good yeah. to get out of the house. <laughs> She, she really done.